Hello and welcome to another edition of Deeper. It's so good to have you with us. And it is also a real delight to have Mark Millington with us. Hello, Hello Mark. Everyone. It's good to be here. It's great to have you with us. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the passage that Mark preached on, on Sunday. Uh, we would love you to read that passage now. And it is Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 to 7 and 15 to 24. Uh, you can read the bit in, in the middle if you like. We won't touch on it because it's a big passage, but uh, it'll probably help you to read the whole thing. So uh, do read it now. Uh, so press pause, Exodus 32, 1 to 7, 15 to 24. And when you're ready, restart the video. Fantastic. So, Mark, uh, great sermon on Sunday. And for those who haven't seen it, I would encourage you to watch it. Uh, it is uh, a challenging sermon. Um, but it's a challenging passage, isn't it? There's so much in it. Just a lot yeah. there. Um, so, uh, tell you what, Mark, uh, if you're able to, um, I'm sure you are, just give us a, a, where are we up to in this part of the story? Because we've kind of chopped and changed a little bit. We've gone forwards and backwards in the story. Um, and we've kind of gone backwards a little bit now. So, where about are we? Yeah, so the people have just been led out of slavery under Pharaoh. Obviously, quite oppressed for a good number of years in slavery. God then leads them out with Moses. Uh, through the waters of the Red Sea, parts of the sea leads them through, they get into freedom, this big song arises because God has delivered them, and then things go downhill. And so Moses, um, the people have received lots of instruction about how to be a people of God, and lots of commandments already been shared with them, but then Moses goes up into the mountain to have an encounter with God, ultimately where he gets the commandments to bring them back down to the people. But whilst he's up there, they start to uh, build this golden well not a cow actually is it it's a, an ox yeah um, so this golden ox and um so it starts off let's uh let's go to start with chapter uh, verse one um i mean there's actually a lot i find there's a lot of comedy in this to be honest uh the bits that just make me laugh and um you know uh so it says um that they when they saw moses was so long coming down they went up to Merin, Aaron, and said uh Where's this guy gone? Come and make us gods. Um, and there's, there's something there, I think, about, uh, for me, uh, what they thought was happening up there, because they're actually quite away from the mountain, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So they, they were all too afraid to go to this mountain. And uh, we read in, uh, in various parts of Exodus that uh, God was there, his glory descended, it was filled with smoke, there was thunder, there was lightning, the earth trembled. Uh, and so they were terrified of approaching this mountain, uh, and only Moses goes. And it's perhaps no wonder that uh, some some days in, they start to wonder whether he's actually alive. Yeah, because it was a long time, wasn't it? It was 40, 40 days, 40 nights. That 40 days altogether. Yeah. Um, and so there's perhaps no wonder that they're starting to think, well, he's not coming back. Um, in fact, it says uh, elsewhere in, in Exodus that... Uh, Moses went up, and it was six days up there before God even spoke to him. Yes. Which I found amazing. I mean, but he must have thought, what on earth is going on? Yeah. Thunder, lightning, smoke, trembling, all that kind of stuff. And like, where is God in all this? He's not yeah. speaking to me, but six days in. Yeah. Uh, he, one of the things with Moses, probably, is he probably developed a bit of confidence by then because he'd really wrestled with God that, that he would know him. And, uh, you know, there's a real intimate relationship between God and Moses, isn't it, that he speaks to him, you know, person to person almost throughout yeah. the story of Exodus. And so I think he probably goes up with it, probably trembling, especially when he sees those conditions. But yet at the same time, probably goes, do you know what? I've encountered God before. I'm going to encounter him again. 
Exactly. And it, that's almost in contrast to the people who really didn't have this close connection relationship with God. Uh, and I think within the story, uh, especially at this stage of the whole story, um, you see their lack of understanding of who God is. You know, their impatience here, uh, their fear that he's killed Moses or Moses sort of died in the midst of all this. Um, there's a real lack of understanding and a lack of patience. Mm. You know, it's, um, you know, God has his own timing on some things and they just didn't understand that yet. Yeah. Like, beyond them. Yeah. Um, and then uh, <laughs> there's this great quote, which I love here. Uh, As for this fellow Moses, it's like, you know, <laughs> who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Uh, there's a kind of um, disrespect almost there, isn't there? And we kind of see that in, in the relationship with Moses. Um, we've seen it a few times over the last few weeks, the disrespect uh, for Moses and who he is and what God's called him to do. And, and actually how patient he's been with them. Frustrated, but really patient time and time again. He keeps going back because, because for, for Moses, he was like, he was so convinced that God was going to do something great with this nation, but the people weren't ever as convinced. So they always focused on their own needs rather than focused on where they were going. And so Moses almost seems like a hindrance to them where mm -hmm. he's like, you know, with your annoying bratty kids, you're like, if you could only see why I'm making these decisions, yeah. you would go with it. But kids can never see your rationale when they're missing out. No. And, and you know what? I think that's a good kind of picture because in, in lots of ways, these are spiritual infants. You know, they have n no real understanding of how to relate to God. And, um, yeah. and you see that in what they ask from, uh, from Aaron. Make us gods. You know, Moses is gone. We need something to fill that gap. So yeah. make us a god. Yeah. Uh, and then let's look at verses two to six. We see here something of, I guess, Aaron's lack of leadership. He just immediately gives in, doesn't he? And and for them, it always like he says, "Who will go before us?" That they had to have someone that led them. They weren't able to lead themselves. They didn't have the tools at this point to go. Do you know what? We know what it means to be a people. We know what it means that. that and this is the, obviously we're seeing that with the Ten Commandments that God still is trying to yeah. shape them by giving them ways to live. But they were almost lost without somebody in their lives to lead them, which we'll pick up on later as we go a bit wider with this. But. You know, this desperation of we can't exist without somebody to lead us. Uh, but why a, a, a golden calf was going to give them that? Who knows? Uh, and they, but they didn't even ask Aaron, really, do they? No. An interesting thing. Yeah. Uh, and I was kind of reflecting on that. And you know, it was it was Moses who's had the encounter with God. He was the one who was c consistently having this deep relationship with God. It wasn't Aaron. Aaron was there as Moses' sidekick, as his second-in-command, but he did not have the same experience that, or encounter that Moses had. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, so let's have a quick thing about the calf, um, because it's not necessarily a calf, is it? No. So what's it? I was looking at some stuff today, and um, you know, and it says that the word infers like um, a bull of type, well, some type, and apparently in the Near East, it symbolized strength and fertility. And I was thinking that's really interesting because they're really weak in and of themselves and they need something to be strong for them. Mm. Um, but the other thing is fertility. And, and I, I don't know, you know how, how much this fits in with scripture, but, but you know, they, they'd had this promise over them that they were going, like from Abraham, that God was going to make them as numerous as the stars. 
Yeah. So whether they carried this over them, they, they look back and remember what God has said they were going to become. So they needed this, this bull to remind them that actually this fertility, that God is going to do something amongst them and grow them and multiply them. It's interesting that there seemed to be uh, quite a lot of worship of cows and bulls around in that region uh, and within Canaan, particularly, you know, with uh, with Baal worship, where there was uh, uh, apparently at some point Baal appeared as a as a bull, I think. Um, so there's a lot of kind of things going on here in the background that we perhaps don't fully understand as yeah. to why they chose the bull, the calf, whatever it was. Um, but it's there in their psyche. It's there in their experience. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that's interesting for me is that um, that they knew that when they were in Egypt, there was nothing they could do to rescue themselves. So they needed God. They needed something higher than them to deliver them. But yet when they then want to make a future for themselves away from Moses, they turn to the things that they'd taken from um, Egypt, yeah. gold, because actually they, they'd gone into the land and taken this stuff out off the Egyptians, hadn't they? And, um, and then took that into the, the new land that they were entering. So they took what was natural, not supernatural, yeah. to try and make a God out of that. And so there's this kind of a lot of effort going into making the, the, um, this calf cost a lot of money. You know, cost a lot to the, the Egyptians, not a lot of money, but a lot to them. Um, and it's, it says uh, they started to eat and drink and ended in revelry, which implies a kind of drunken, almost orgy type of thing. Uh, and in verse 25 describes how they're running wild. Yes. Uh, it's a verse we didn't actually get onto, but verse 25, they're running wild. It, it's kind of lost its sense of order. They've lost their sense of being the people of God altogether, haven't they? Yeah. And it's interesting in Proverbs, it says, without vision, people cast off um, restraint. Yeah. And uh, that's very true for them. You know, they, they just needed everything around them just to be tight or else they just couldn't be the people they were meant to be. One of the other words, actually, the other explanations for revelry in this is a mocking and a laughing, which I thought is really intriguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they almost got to a point of content of like, we, we've made it. You know, we're, we're higher than Moses himself because we've got it sussed, the laughing at the ways of God. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and that, that's, that's a challenge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Do we find ourselves in that? Yeah, when I saw that, I wondered whether they were perhaps even mocking God. Yeah. Moses. But anyway, yeah. uh, verse 7, uh, we, we then see uh, uh, God talking to Moses. Um, and uh, go down because your people... These are no longer God's people. These are now Moses' people uh, whom you brought out of Egypt have become, become corrupt. Um, and there is a sense here in which God seems to, and you see that in the next verses that we, we didn't look at on Sunday, uh, how God is in the process of disowning these people. The word, Hebrew word that uh, is translated here is corrupt. Uh, it's probably only used one of the time as used of the people in Noah's day. Yes. You know, the, the God wiped out. Uh, yeah. So you can understand something of the incredible sin that these people are starting to commit. So verse 15 and 16, uh, where we see uh, Moses coming down from the mountain. Um, and uh, we learn something about the tablets of stone um, with the, the words of God written on by God. In fact, it's probably the, this is the only time it's those stones are really described. Uh, we have this little interesting uh, conversation between Joshua, who was up there on the mountain with him, 
um, and Moses were they're trying to work out what's this noise coming from the camp. Anything that you want to draw out of that passage? Yeah, I, I think there's just a level of intrigue about how much noise they are making. Because if we go back to the revelry thing, there seems to be such a reaction to suddenly having lots of freedom. Mm. You know, and, and, you know, pastorally, you can see that sometimes in people's lives when they just go off the wall, they just go a bit bonkers. Yeah. And, they, and living in a way just like, this isn't something you never wanted before. And now you've been given freedom and look what you've done with it. And going down, that seems to be what they're hearing is this sense of abandonment. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, it's, it's very intriguing. Kind of warning, isn't it, as we start to think about our uh, freedom from restrictions. Mm. You know what we might see with people. Yeah, but that's yeah. a different story altogether, isn't it? <laughs> no, uh, and, <laughs> and then Moses in verse 19, he sees the calf and the dancing. Um, and quite rightly, his, his anger burns, it says. Uh, what do you make of this passage? Yeah, I think what's, what's nice is that I, you know, I, I think it's when you when you see again going back to your, your kids when you see them like behaving in a particular way, it's really destructive towards one another. I mean, your kids sometimes are really unkind to one another, and you have to step in almost with anger because you're like, "This is wrong. This is not what I want for you. This is not what, what I want you to be." Yeah. And you know, Moses has just come from a time where it's like God has given him a way of connecting with God that his people might know him and that he might be known to his people. And that they've abandoned this. And that's what he's seen. But yet he's had this massive encounter. And it must be so heart-wrenching. You know, it says anger. But you imagine there's just like a righteous, like, this is not what we're meant yeah. to be. And this, you're being robbed of what God can give you. And I mentioned on Sunday that an idol will always rob from you. Yeah. And he could see that right in front of him. And so this covenant that God had given him, he saw them make a covenant with a graven image. And so he goes, no. So he ends up destroying it. Yeah. And, you know, the breaking of the tablets was uh, him ending the contract, the covenant between God and his people, because they had already, at this point, broken the contract. Yeah. Um, and I read uh, one commentator say that actually his breaking down of the calf was effectively breaking the contract between the people and this false god. So it was a chance to start again. Yeah. Um, and then the final passage, uh, which is Aaron talking to Moses about what happened. Oh, this makes me laugh. Um, <laughs> uh, anything you want to say on that? Yeah, I, you, you sort of relate to Aaron, don't you? <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's so hard, isn't it, when people around you have been through like loads of tough times and they're still going through tough times. Yeah. And everything in you just wants you to go, it's going to be all right. And you end up doing something to appease them that you just know is not right by saying the wrong thing or the right thing at the wrong time, whatever that might be, just because you want the people to like you and to, to feel better about themselves. But sometimes that's not what brings someone freedom. And I think Aaron gets caught up in that. But we've all been there, haven't we? You know, it's you read this and you think, oh, surely you wouldn't have done that. But surely we've all done it at some point. Yeah. Yeah, where you want when someone's just in a in a wrong place, you just you just want to say the right thing, and but you you don't find yourself saying it. You end up saying something stupid, <laughs> and, and and he's there, he's there, isn't he? He is, and you know it's 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 funny what he says, isn't it? In terms of you know he he had obviously made this calf, he'd fashioned it, says he he kind of chiselled parts of it out, and yet here he almost kind of disowns any responsibility. 
you know, I just, I just threw all the gold in the fire and out came this car. Yeah. As if it was like a miracle. And maybe that's what he's trying to say. You know, he's pointing to, it wasn't me, it was a miracle, you know, but yeah, we, we know differently, don't we? And also, you know, the, the fact he says to Moses, you know what they're like. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Instead of going, Moses, you know what I'm like? Because Aaron, I think, knew what he was like. And he was very aware of his weakness because there's always like, he was always in Moses' shadow. And so I think he's probably waiting for Moses to come down and just go, I knew you'd do that. Yeah. I knew yeah. you'd do that. And, um, and everything in, in him must have been like, oh, just complete shame of what he's done. So he points the finger. That's right. And it's so much easier, isn't it, to point the finger, but that's, that's what he does. Yeah. You know what? Church leaders do that all the time. You know, <laughs> I've been in meetings where I've heard church leaders say, you know what they're like. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. If only they would behave like this, I would be a better leader. If they actually did what I said, it'd be all right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's um, let's think a little bit wider about what does this mean for us today. So there's a lot here in this passage that, um, although it's quite alien to us, isn't it, Mark? Is actually quite applicable today. Um, let me go first. So uh, one of the things that struck me is. Uh, what do we do when we feel that God is not speaking or just feels in some way far away? Because that was a position for the Israelites, wasn't it? You know, God was over on the mountain, Moses up there, and what do we do now? Moses could be dead. Uh, and, you know, it struck me that what they did is not so different to how a lot of people I'm aware of have reacted. You know, they kind of run wild. I, I actually know... Uh, Franciscan monk who every now and again uh, would disappear and be found somewhere on, in Soho in London after having spent a few days of wild living. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the other monks would go and drag him back. He'd be repented. They'd turn him around. They'd minister to him. Um, or, or here, you know, they, they gave the gold to another god. And you know, that's something that we're able to do, isn't it? We just find someone else to fill that place where God normally is, or we feel where God should be. Um, or we blame the leadership of the church. You know, yeah. there's all sorts of things that, that we do when God isn't speaking. And perhaps all they needed to be was patient. Yeah. And yeah. Talk. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, isn't it? That God to them at the, this time is not speaking, but they'd forgotten they had already spoken. That's right. And you know, in the preceding chapters, we see loads about how they were meant to live. And if they just followed that, they probably would have done all right. And um, you know, and how many times when you know, people are stuck in a situation, well, just go, well, God's not speaking to me. I just can't hear him anymore. Like, well, what has he said? And you pick up your Bible and you go, he has spoken. Just do this. You know, the Bible says that, that scripture is sufficient for us, for godly living. Yeah. And, uh, and God had provided a, a certain pattern for them to behave by, to live by but they chose not to. And, you know, I, I passionately believe in a God who still speaks to us. And, yeah, and uh, I love helping people hear the voice of God. But even if God was never to speak to us again, we have enough in Scripture to help us live each and every day in the way that he wants. That's all we need. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever God says to us from now onwards is kind of supplementary to that. Yeah. It's not essential to it. And, um we sometimes forget that, don't we? Yeah, no, we do. The other thing that struck me was uh, how, within this whole passage, the need for an intermediary. You know, they had Moses, and when Moses went, they needed something else to fill that space. 
Um, is that something that you you can recognise in this passage? Yeah, I think, you know, being part of several churches over the years, um, I think what I've noticed is how when, when a leader blows out, how the people blow out. Yeah. You know, suddenly they disappear. They're no longer in church anymore. And you wonder if that is a bit of an echo of what's happening here, is that they needed a man in their lives, a leader, in this case, a male leader, um, to lead them. And if they didn't have that, they, they lost hope and, and they started living in a way that wasn't godly. And I, I think that's very true of just the human heart is we, we need people in our lives, but ultimately that has to be in the shadow of Christ. Yeah. It has to be him that leads us primarily. So when man fails us, our, our rock isn't shaken. And, uh, and we, sing a lot, we sing these songs, don't we? You know, I will not be shaken. You know, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. But there's a reason that's in scripture is that when everything else fails around us, he is the constant through our lives. And that's a real challenge to go, how much are we putting our faith in the leader in the church rather than the one they're representing? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you see it a lot with particularly, you know, very charismatic and strong leaders, you know, how people uh, almost allow that person to become the intermediary between them and God. Uh, you see it in cults, you know, which is massive. That, that's a major part of it, you know, anything God says is filtered through the leader instead of each and every one of us able to hear from God ourselves and to understand scripture ourselves and, and, and not need that person. You know, we don't need that anymore. Yeah. You know, we, we have Christ. He's our intermediary between us and the father. That's it. Uh, I remember um, reading an article. I think it was by Eugene Peterson. And he was saying the article was teach us how not to care as leaders. <laughs> And it was all about not making you the focus as a leader, but pointing to Christ. Yeah. That, that whatever role we're in, if we have influence over anybody else, the greatest thing we can give them is Jesus himself. Because teach them to pray to him, not to come to us. And, and that can happen at every level of leadership, whether, like I say, you're in a family or in a friendship, or you're, in a leader, you're a leader of a church, whatever that might be. Always point to him. Yeah. Point to his goodness. Yeah. And of course, this passage is all about idols. Um, anything that you want to say on that? You talked about it quite a bit on Sunday, but anything else that you, you weren't able to say on Sunday that you want to throw in now? Yeah, I think, I think what stands out from this passage is the fact that they didn't abandon God completely. There's this um, echo of the Yahweh or Elohim you know, throughout the, as a thread. And they even like, have a worship service, effectively, don't they, in front of the, with the altar. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's true of us, that not, not often do people completely blow out and just worship an idol. Um, you know, they, they yeah. stay in church. They're in religious activities. They, they, they know it's important to them. And I, I see that in my own life. How many times have I, you know, just say, well, yeah, I'm a worshiper of Jesus. Then you have this area of your life. You think, actually, this doesn't glorify God. But I don't, I don't want to let go of either. And that's a challenge for us is not to become comfortable in trying to deal with both. Mm-hmm. Not trying to have both in your life. That God, God is a jealous God, and He wants complete devotion. And people quite often think of idols as something completely separate from our faith. You know, so like you know, I think you mentioned like on, on something money. You know, that absolutely can become an idol. Uh, but there's things about our faith that can become idols as well, isn't it? You know, uh, how people chase after miracles. Yeah. You know, they be- almost become an idol. You're yeah, after the miracle more than God Himself. Church buildings, quite often people worship the building more than they worship God. You know, it's, there's a lot of it going on. I think the final point, um, and again, I think you touched a bit on it on Sunday, was um, 
the futility of making excuses in these kind of situations. You know, we see particularly with Aaron. Um, but when we mess up, we, we have to take responsibility, don't we? And um, Aaron doesn't quite do that. We see in this and in other situations, the people of God don't qu ever quite do that. They're always pointing the finger of blame to others. And repentance is about taking ownership of our, our mistakes and our sin. Yeah. Moving on from that. Should we uh, give them some questions to think about, Mark? Okay, then. So let's go a little bit further with this. And uh, if you're not in a uh, mission community, let me encourage you to, to join one. Mark leads one. Uh, I'm sure Mark would always love new members, wouldn't you? Always love new members. Yeah. So him and Nicola lead one together. Um, and if you're interested, get in touch with Mark. Uh, so uh, our first question is this. Um, Describe a time when you felt that God uh, wasn't either wasn't speaking to you or felt far away. Talk about how that felt. But then how did it end? Did you make decisions on, on what to do? Did it simply come to an end? You felt God suddenly come near or start to speak? What happened? So just talk about it because being honest about our, our stories, I think, is really important, quite powerful when we're honest about them. The second question is... Um, why do the people of Israel uh, and people generally want an intermediary between them and God? Uh, that might need some reflection, some uh, time to kind of talk out together to work that out. And if we can work that out, we can avoid ourselves, can't we? Mark? Yeah, so a couple from me. Um, what are the potential idols in your life? Now, this, this is a challenging one, isn't it? Um, because it can be quite exposing, but... But we're talking about potential idols. You know, what are the things that you may have lent towards to bring you comfort and make you feel better about your life? Mm -hmm. That it, you might think, if I put my time to this, this is the thing that will make me happier or more fulfilled. But it ends up distracting you from the truths of God. Um, but if nothing else in your group, just think about what an idol could be. Just name, just do a list of idols potentially that you could think of. Um, because these aren't physical things necessarily. You know, yeah. these are more likely to to be things that, like I said on Sunday, can be good things, but when we elevate a good thing higher than a, a, a God himself, that's when it becomes a God thing. And then the last one is, uh, what do you think Aaron should have done when the people came to him? I'm sure lots of people have got thoughts around this. Yeah. Um, and if, if I said, what would you have done? Maybe we would have done the same thing. But what should we have done is a different yes. question. Yes. So what should Aaron have done when the people came to him with that request? That'd yeah. be an interesting one to unpick. Mark, thank you for your time. Thank you for preaching on Sunday. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you. Uh, so good to have everyone with us today. Uh, do please come back next week. And if you're able to, join us on Sunday for our service, both in church and online. So take care, stay safe, and we will see you next week. Bye, Bye now. Everyone.